Hello and welcome to the Church Times podcast. I'm Hattie Williams, senior reporter, and I'm joined here by Ed Thornton, assistant editor, and Madeline Davies, deputy news and features editor. On this week's podcast, why are there so few young people in the church and what can be done about it? And our editor, Paul Hanley, talks about the paper's new look. Do check out our latest subscription offer, 10 issues of the Church Times for £10. That's just £1 per copy, half the price of a cup of coffee Ed just bought on the way to the office. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. In this week's Church Times, we've started a series on the church's crisis over young people. Many congregations have fewer than five under-16s, and the church is failing to retain the children and grandchildren of its members. Madeline, you've been commissioning this series. Can you tell us why you thought it was important that we focused on this issue? A few years ago, back in 2014, Church Times produced a series called the C of E Health Check, where we commissioned various people, including sociologists, to look at numerical and other forms of decline in the church and suggest ways in which that might be turned around. Um, And one of the really significant findings that came out of that was that there are very few children and young people in the church. So many have fewer than five under-16s, and some smaller churches actually have none at all. This was brought out by Professor David Voas, who is Head of Sociology at UCL. Um, And he was the first person that I asked to contribute to this series, digging down more into the figures about 11 to 18s. And what did he say about that particular age group? Um, So his suggestion is that basically affiliation with Christianity and with the C of E declines with every generation. So um, it's only about 1% of people aged 18 to 34 um, who are active Anglicans and for teenagers um, probably less than that. And he talks about the fact that um, really people's path in life in terms of um, church attendance is generally set in their early 20s. So if you're going to church in your early 20s, you probably will continue to do so for the rest of your life. But if you're not, it's quite unlikely that you will start. So although um, we can talk about revival and bringing adults and older people into the church, he argues that it's teenage religious involvement that's really critical. You talk about bringing people into the church, um, young people. Is is that just attending church or, or is it more than that? So one of the things that we'll be exploring in the series um, is whether we need to look beyond figures around Sunday attendance. So one of the things we've looked at this week um, is the history of the Sunday school movement. And Dr Naomi Thompson, who's written a book about this, argues that that actually began as a way of giving working class young people um, an education and literacy. And it's gradually moved over the decades to be much more about providing childcare for adult members of congregations. Obviously that's not true in every church, but she argues that that has become quite a prevalent theme. And she really asks what we can learn about the social currencies that could be tapped into by the churches. So back in the 18th century when this started, it was the need for an education for literacy. What is it now that that could fill that? Naomi Thompson also seems to argue that much youth work is too much focused on bums on seats and not enough about meeting the needs of, of young people. Is that right? Yes, and that's been brought out by um, other contributors to this series as well. She talks about the fact that they're um, sort of under pressure to provide young people in churches and and look after the children of people who are already in church. Perhaps part of a youth worker's role is actually reaching out to the vast majority of young people in communities who don't come from Christian families and are completely unchurched. And there's perhaps a tension there that youth workers in some places are struggling with where, you know, they're sort of being pulled in two directions perhaps. And I've seen that in churches, particularly in quite kind of middle class areas where there are quite demanding parents who want their 
offspring to stay on the straight and narrow and want their the youth workers to very much focus on keeping young people who are already going to church kind of in there and perhaps not taking part in some of the sort of behaviours that teenagers get into. Yeah, we've um, we've asked some young uh, youth workers to contribute to the series, so they'll be writing um, over the course of the series about what they... I've asked them what they wish the church knew about youth work um. and about young people. And we've also got a really interesting piece by Phoebe Hill, who's head of research at Youthscape, and I know a lot of youth workers will be familiar with them. They provide a huge amount of resources mm. which youth workers use. Um, and they did a survey last year looking at whether churches have lost their confidence in work with children and young people. And one of the thing, things that they found is that perhaps youth workers' success is based on whether they're bringing huge numbers of young people into the church. And she actually argues that a lot of important and um, really worthwhile youth work might look quite small, so fewer than 10 people and quite humble, so just a weekly meeting around a dining room table. And she says, you know, it's these humble acts of sharing, of loving and being with young people, which have proved effective in many young people's lives and certainly my own journey of faith. So hopefully, as much as we're looking at some quite bleak numbers, um, I hope that people will take encouragement for the paper and perhaps start thinking about youth work and young people in a slightly different way. Phoebe Hill also says that at many churches it's not necessarily realistic to have a paid youth worker and many other members of the congregation need to start thinking about taking part in youth work. Yeah, and so I I think there can be this expectation that we can't do youth work until this young, trendy person Mm. is brought forth and will rescue it for us. And really what several people in this series have been saying is actually that's perhaps not what what you need, what you should be waiting for. It's sort of the role of everybody in that congregation to think about how they can play a role in the faith journey of the young people in their community, in their church. And Time and time again, I know Mark Russell from Church Army says this, it can actually often be older, retired people who can play this really important role in young people's lives, um, bringing their wisdom, their experience and just their care and their time. It it doesn't have to be somebody who is early 20s and and nearer in age to those young people. Perhaps wearing skinny jeans and cool t-shirts. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of those and we wouldn't want to denigrate, uh, denigrate that, but... Yeah, definitely if you're listening to this podcast and you are retired, but, you know, interested in this in this question, I think there's real encouragement over the next few weeks that, that you have a role to play in this, that it's not something which has to be left to younger people. One thing that comes out in David Burris's piece and in um, a piece we've got by Ali Campbell, former youth advisor for the Diocese of Chichester, is that there's not nearly enough being done to transmit faith in the home. And actually a lot of the evidence shows that one of the biggest factors in keeping young people as Christians going to church is, is their parents passing on the faith. Could there be a tendency among some parents, it seems, to, to outsource this and hope that this kind of youth worker comes along to do it all when actually it's far more important to do to talk about faith in the home? I think what comes out when you survey people and survey young Christians is that by far the biggest kind of correlating factor is the fact that they were brought up in a Christian home. Obviously some people who didn't get brought up in a Christian home will become Christians but the vast majority actually grew up with it and I think he's arguing that we need to um, support families to grow and nurture the faith of their children and there have been some polls suggesting that that parents don't necessarily think it's a priority or that other things are more kind of in their care or their responsibility. I think those figures might need to be drilled down into a bit more but what he's arguing is you know let's not ignore the fact that um, for the vast majority of young people are Christians, it's because they've been, you know, it, it goes back to being brought up in a Christian home. 
I mean, Ali Campbell says that the national church is neglecting this. He asks, why aren't the archbishops talking more about it? Why isn't there a lead bishop for faith transmission? Why isn't the synod debating it with some urgency? There's lots of talk about got the evangelism task group. You've got um, setting God's people free, which doesn't really talk about this. So he thinks this is an area which needs massive national attention. I know when there was a poll finding which suggested that Christians didn't see it as very important that they pass on the faith, I know Justin Welby commented on that and, and was very concerned about that finding, so I don't think it's kind of entirely off the agenda. But I think um, Ali does raise some really interesting points about exactly how it is that we that we work alongside families. There is a bishop for children and young people and the Bishop of Durham, so perhaps that would fall within his remit. And I suppose there are sort of various um, ways, including Messy Church and the fact that we have diocesan youth advisors who perhaps also would see that as, as part of their role. Do you think the drive towards digital evangelism is kind of part of that attempt to draw in young people because the digital age is so important and it's so defining of, of young people that actually these kind of videos that the CIA are doing, their new website, all of that kind of thing, social media, is that is that helping, do you think? Yeah, and that has been raised um, in Synod when there's been um, evangelism debates. That is sort of faithfully brought up in every debate, is this question. And obviously there has been a huge investment at Church House in digital media. We will have a piece later down the line from Mary Hawes, who's at um, Church House kind of leading on young people and she'll write about initiatives including the appointment of a youth evangelism officer and other things that are happening at a sort of a central top level that would perhaps demonstrate that the church as an institution, the national church, is grappling with this. Let's just have a think about what stood out for us in this week's paper. Ed, have you got any thoughts? Yes, I enjoyed a book review by our old friend Malcolm Doney on a book by Rebecca Stott called In the Days of Rain, A Daughter, A Father, A Cult. I, I heard Rebecca Stott talk about this on Front Row last week and, and was really interested to hear about it. The book is about her growing up in the Exclusive Brethren, uh, which is originally a patriarchal fundamentalist sect dissenting from the Anglican Church in the early 19th century. It was good having Malcolm do this review because he grew up in the Open Brethren, which was... No cinema, no dancing, and women kept silent, but he describes this as milk and water liberals compared with the exclusives, for whom even the open brethren were anathema. It just it seems a really fascinating story, and um, it's a book I think I'll, I'll try to read. I listened to Oprah Winfrey's amazing Golden Globe speech last night, and I was really interested in a column by our columnist Paul Vallely, which is entitled Don't Dismiss an Oprah Presidency. We have a very good leader column this week on spiritual abuse, which has been quite a hot topic in the news this week after we, in fact, broke the story about a vicar who was convicted of spiritual abuse in the first case of its kind. I recommend you read both that story and also some figures that came out at the same time, suggesting that two-thirds of Christians have experienced some form of spiritual abuse. So do have a read into those. So readers may have noticed that the Church Times has a new look this week. Uh, we've redesigned the paper. I'm with the editor, Paul Hanley. Um, Paul, can you talk us through some of the changes and, and why we've done this? Yeah, I, I'm always slightly wary about um, design things. because it, It's important to us and it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and, and we put lots of energy into it. But in the end, we, it's the content that people are interested in. So... Um, uh, I hope this isn't too self-indulgent to talk about it even, but I, I, um, it's the paper has looked the same for more than 10 years, and, um, and, 
and uh, like um, fashion in clothing, fashion in, in newspapers, magazines, uh, in print, um, uh, does change. And so um, the old layout, nobody complained about it. Um, we, um, it was very comfortable. It's like wearing a, an old, old piece of clothing, really. It, it, it fitted us. We could do a lot of the work automatically. Um, and it had scope to make things look um, exciting sometimes. Well, not not exactly dull. That's the opposite. But nonetheless, it was it, it it's, it's no it does no harm to give the paper a shakedown. Um, we um, we've gone on a, um, a slightly different um, size paper, uh, which is more standard now. It's becoming more standard. That it's the same, roughly the same size as the Times, and of course. From Monday, um, the Guardian. Mm. Since the paper was was getting slightly smaller, we we needed to save some space in different ways so that we get as many words in as as we could. So we've done that, but we've used the main typefaces have, have stayed the same, so it's not too unfamiliar either. So we, it's very Anglican sort of um, design. We we we've changed um, quite a bit, but um, not too much. I think. Um, uh, we've done it over the Christmas period. It was quite ridiculous um, to try and do it um, when we were so busy. Um, I, I, the colleagues in the design department have been fantastic mm -hmm. um, to get it done in that time. Um, what's what's missed, I think, is is um, rethinking some of the contents. Um, so we we hope over the next few months to be revamping a bit of that as well because um, it does the paper no harm to. To, um, to be rethought. Is there, are there any particular sections you think have, have improved as a result of the redesign or, or just read a bit better? I mean, the plan is that the paper is is um, bright and readable. That um, uh, We occasionally hear from people who say, uh, well, we, we like the Church Times, but um, we really don't have time in the week. A lot of um, clergy, for example. Uh, and so the idea of, of the front page for example we're, we're just trying to say well okay not a lot of time but these are a few things that you might look at so we're, we're, we'll be highlighting things more um, some of the stories have got um, a couple of headlines on them uh, a main headline and a little headline so that you can you can see at a glance what the story is about mm -hmm. so it it's um, it's a, a, a nod to, to some of our busier readers so that they can they can grasp the, the essentials each week without without having to sit down um, but nonetheless there's still plenty of words in there for people mm, getting their value for money and for those who don't yet subscribe we've got a um, special offer this month uh, yeah um, uh, we're always trying to encourage people to try the paper um, and we're hoping that existing readers will um, encourage others to do it um, but you can you can get uh, 10 issues for £10 um, which seems cheap to me very good and also 30 articles free on the website for this yeah month. um uh, one of the ways people get to know the paper is uh, through sharing on social media so we've opened up the website some more we normally restrict people to seven mm. um, articles a, a month and um, now it's uh, it's 30 for the time being and and we just want people to share stuff that's it for this week's episode of the church times podcast you can find lots more news analysis comment and book reviews on our website www.churchtimes.co.uk 
If you're not yet a subscriber, why not take a look at our latest introductory offer, one month of our digital package and five issues of the paper for just £5. Go to www.churchtimes.co.uk slash subscribe. The music, as always, was by Sort After Sounds. Don't forget to tune in next Friday for our next episode, and thanks for listening. Thank you.